May 25th is the enforcement deadline for the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation. So at this late stage, what should U.S. healthcare sector entities be doing? I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with attorneys Adam Green and Robert Stanky of the law firm Davis Wright Tremaine. So now, Adam and Robert, for starters, not all healthcare sector entities in the U.S. need to worry about GDPR. So, what kinds of U.S. healthcare sector entities do need to comply? For instance, is it mostly organizations that have some sort of European activities? There's been, I think, a lot of confusion and misinformation on this point, with some believing that merely having an EU resident walk through your healthcare provider doors brings you under GDPR. And fortunately, GDPR, while it does apply outside the U.S., does not apply quite so broadly. The big issues that U.S. healthcare providers should focus on is certainly first, whether they actually operate in the European Union. So that could be if they have offices there or if they actually are participating in, for example, clinical studies in the EU. If they don't actually operate in the EU, they should take a look at whether they are targeting the EU, such as targeting marketing efforts through the EU. So this could certainly be old-fashioned marketing efforts, so being in publications that are circulated in the EU, but it could also be certainly website design, so do they have a particular website for the EU or a particular section on their website focused on the EU? If they are actively targeting the EU, and not global patients overall, but the EU specifically, that could bring them under the EU's GDPR. And the one other area would be if they are monitoring behavior of individuals in the EU. And that could be based on, for example, that they have website tracking through cookies or other means where they're tracking visitors to their website with respect to kind of online behavior for purposes of targeted advertising, things like that. If they have that sort of online monitoring and it encompasses EU residents, that could bring them under GDPR. So with that said, at this late stage of the game, what should U.S. healthcare sector entities that do need to comply with GDPR be most concerned about doing if they haven't already done this, assuming that they've been working at this? Are there certain things that could be easily forgotten in terms of what they need to do before this deadline? So I'll take that, Mary, and this is Bob. Companies probably need to do three things. First, they need to look at their systems and determine exactly where data that is subject to the GDPR might be processed. Is it just a marketing database that they have, or is it a set of databases that are involved in research or clinical trials, or is it their entire clinical practice that's subject to to the GDPR? So it's important to understand what the scope of the exposure of the new law for their systems and for their activities would be as, as a first thing. And the second thing is probably to ensure that to the extent that they are collecting data from Europeans, that they have the right public-facing materials in place to, to show their compliance with the GDPR. 
So this means making sure that whatever privacy policies, privacy statements that they have that are the basis for which data is being collected from EU residents, that those are fully updated to meet the compliance requirements of the GDPR. The GDPR has specific obligations around transparency. It also has obligations to allow for certain access rights, and it's important that all that be reflected in documents that are available for public inspection and that are used as the basis for the collection and processing of the data. And probably the third area to be aware of is third-party relationships. If you are somehow involved with processing EU data, you may be asked to sign a contract committing to comply with obligations under the GDPR. This may be the situation in which you are receiving data from a healthcare provider or an institution in Europe, and they're giving it to you for some sort of processing activity. You may be asked in that circumstance to sign a contract that says that you will comply with many of the obligations of the GDPR. So healthcare organizations, research organizations need to be ready for that. And equally, if you are subject to the GDPR, you have obligations to flow down those requirements to your supply chain. So to the extent that you have vendors and suppliers that are providing services to you as a healthcare organization or a research institution, and those third parties have access to that EU resident patient data, you need to make sure that you have contractual terms in place with them where they agree to honor the commitments to protect that data in a manner consistent with European law. When it comes to the right to be forgotten, where does that fit in when it comes to patient records? And typically in the U.S., healthcare entities need to hold on to patient records for a certain amount of time. So how does this all fit in with GDPR? It's a great question. This is Bob again. For the GDPR, the requirement to allow people to have the right to be forgotten is a very broad right, but it has um, many different exceptions or caveats to it. So in practice, especially with data that would be collected by a healthcare organization, while an individual may have the right under European law to ask for their data to be deleted, nevertheless, the healthcare provider is not obliged to immediately implement that request. There are reasons why a healthcare organization may want to keep it, very legitimate reasons, such as we would have in the United States. And for the most part, those kinds of reasons to hang on to the data are respected under European law. So to the extent that, for example, that you have a regulatory obligation to report uh, and you need some of the patient data in order to indicate that laboratory tests are appropriate in connection with an inspection, um, that's certainly permitted under the GDPR. To the extent that you have a, a concern that someone may ask about billing or you have an obligation to keep medical records to satisfy requirements related to insurance, those are all sorts of legitimate reasons that the data can be retained despite the fact that the individual does have this broad right as a general principle to ask for that data to be deleted. The other thing I I may just add on to this, which is an important thing when thinking about the GDPR, is just the scope of the concept of personal data. I think a lot of U.S. healthcare organizations are used to thinking about personal data in the context of, of HIPAA, and it's important to understand, and this is important for the right to be forgotten, that personal data from the perspective of the GDPR is a lot broader than protected health information. And it really extends, as Adam has has referenced, it extends to things that we normally don't think of as being personal data, which would include online identifiers. So information that's gathered 
by collecting information from a, a device that a visitor uses to a website, for example, that's still within the scope of personal information within the definition of the GDPR. And so those rights to be forgotten, the rights also for an individual to ask to see what information is being collected about them, all those rights apply not only to the things that we normally think of, like a healthcare record or even a, a name and address or an email address, but it also extends to these other forms of data that may be obtained and processed in connection with many different kinds of valid and legitimate activities for a healthcare organization. You mentioned uh, HIPAA, and when it comes to U.S. healthcare entities, is there a lot of tension between GDPR and HIPAA? For example, are there steps that entities need to take under GDPR involving patient data that run counter to HIPAA, and so therefore, you know, they're forced to sort of change the way they do things for citizens that would be covered under GDPR? I wouldn't necessarily call it tension, and in a sense, I feel like for the small minority of U.S. healthcare providers or other U.S. healthcare entities who are subject to GDPR, they've been preparing for GDPR for about 15 years now with respect to HIPAA because there is a lot of overlap between HIPAA and GDPR. And arguably, Bob can call me out if I'm misstating this, HIPAA may better prepare you than practically any other U.S. privacy regime for GDPR, at least with respect to those required by law. So I wouldn't call it tension. I think that you are pretty far along on GDPR compliance if you have a robust HIPAA compliance program. That being said, there are a number of distinct differences, areas like the right to be forgotten, the very short time frame for breach notification, the exact requirements on subcontractors, issues like differences between de-identification under HIPAA as compared to the much more stringent anonymization under GDPR. I wouldn't call these tensions, but I'd call these areas where certainly additional compliance obligations would be required to essentially go beyond HIPAA and become GDPR compliant. This is Bob. I think Adam rightly points out that these are two laws that kind of have the same source and many of the same principles. One of the challenges is the GDPR, because it's not a sector-specific piece of legislation, it's meant to apply across all industries, all realms of activity within Europe, doesn't fit particularly well in certain circumstances to healthcare data. And so we're finding a lot of the, the tension, if you will, is not in sort of the basic patient record and the kinds of things that HIPAA is very well prepared to deal with, but it's really around the ability that HIPAA provides to authorize certain activities to take certain uses of data outside of the regulation of HIPAA, where under the GDPR, you can't get out of the scope of regulation so easily. So Adams referred to the notion of de-identification so there are very clear requirements, clear standards for de-identifying data and therefore making it not subject to HIPAA. Unfortunately, under the GDPR, it's a lot murkier. There's not a, an easy way to say this data has been de-identified and therefore we can reuse it for research purposes or for sharing with third parties or these other very justifiable activities. It's just not built out that way. So some of the things that healthcare organizations and research organizations have had to navigate in preparing for GDPR is trying to map these activities that they have otherwise had a very clear ability to pursue 
without being concerned about HIPAA regulation. Now having to evaluate, you know, in what circumstances are they constrained or are there extra compliance steps that need to be taken because the GDPR does not speak specifically or terribly flexibly about some of these concepts when it comes to reuse of data and things like that. So as of May 25th, what kinds of potential breach or non-compliance scenarios should U.S. healthcare sector entities be most concerned about when it comes to GDPR? And how soon do you think enforcement activity may begin? And what should they be watching for? So that is the million-dollar question at this point. I think that there will be probably some grace period extended by some of the, the regulators in Europe. The Europeans themselves, the regulators, are not as well prepared for May 25th as many would have expected. But I think that there will be some forgiveness given as long as organizations have taken those initial steps and showed an obvious commitment to try to comply with the law. That said, I think one of the things that's going to be really interesting from a compliance standpoint and an enforcement standpoint going forward is around security and breach notification. And really one of the, um, the biggest impacts of the GDPR is to bring a much greater focus and, and much more in the way of real obligations to have good security and also to uh, be responsive when there is a breach. So I think some of the more interesting initial activities and enforcement issues are going to be around a lack of security and reporting obligations and that sort of thing. The other area that we're still waiting to find out more about, I think, is how um, the GDPR maps to a lot of activities that, that take place online. And while they may not be directly applicable to a lot of healthcare organizations, there, there still is some activity that most healthcare providers will want to carry out online. And to the extent that the GDPR is being applied in a broader way to those kinds of activities, specifically to the collection of that user data, tracking data, if you will, of people online, I think we will see some enforcement actions that will have an impact beyond just the digital advertising community, and therefore it may have an impact on these sorts of activities that healthcare providers may be pursuing and want to pursue. And the one area I'll disagree with Bob on is I don't think it's a million-dollar question because I think the enforcement penalties under GDPR, if I understand correctly, can get up to 4% of global revenue, right. which for some organizations is far more than a million. Now, I don't say that with respect to trying to create fear, uncertainty, and doubt and suggest that the EU regulators are going to be going after 4% of revenue on day one for anyone who has a technical violation. But I think while there is an expectation and hope for reasonableness in enforcement, I do expect that there will be this kind of grace period. It's that 4%, amongst other things also, there being a private right of action that I think has really caught the world's attention with respect to this regulation. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Robert. I've been speaking to Adam Green and Robert Stantke. I'm Marianne Kobasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.